So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, folks. Welcome to Karate Without Belts. I'm John, and I am joined by longtime collaborator, first time on the podcast, the wonderful Steel Mason himself, Sal. <laughs> Steel Maceman, wow. Maceman, Mason. Is it, if, if you say Maceman, is it like it's my last name, or is it Mace Man, like Spider-Man? I don't know. I have, I have a I have a very hard time knowing how to pronounce your last name. So that's okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just like uh, um, the guy who does maces and looks really good for makes makes me look like the fat kid in the corner. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, uh terrible. Um, moving. It is yeah, moving's it is. never fun. Moving is never fun. I we we've in a couple of weeks we've been in this house for about a year. So a year ago we were moving, and yeah, that's not fun. No, no. Well, I'm doing it by myself, so it's like, it's it's it. The worst part about moving is you put everything in a box, and then you get the box and you send the box, and then you get back to your place and you're just like, oh, that had like three things that I needed. Yeah. And then what was should have been in the there's like five things here that should have been in that box. Yeah, it's like a chicken and the egg sort of thing. It's like if you box it up, then you'll you know you're gonna need it later. If you don't box it up, then you're just it's more stuff that you have to worry about. Yeah, and, yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. And then I've got to clean up some other guy's stuff who was here before me too. So kind of pulling double duty. And enough gnashing of teeth over moving. Zell, what have you been up to in terms of training this week? Yeah, this week and and probably the past few weeks. Uh, really been getting a lot more more into my yoga than my karate actually uh, and that's just because my schedule's changed a bit so I've been able to make some more uh, yoga classes and I've been um, just really focusing on just some of my my flexibility and and and, and mobility um, as it relates to to my karate and my martial arts so I'm always practicing all of those things but I'd say right now there's probably more of an emphasis on my flexibility and mobility just no particular reason other than it's just sort of the way things happen. I tend not to have too much of a plan in, in my workouts, but I've just sort of fallen into this more, this, this, this routine lately where I'm just doing more mobility work and, and such. That's interesting. The last, last three podcasts I've recorded, everyone has had a very similar goal in that regard. Really? Yeah, I feel that gets into, one of, the, one of the things we want to talk about, but also just kind of the unspoken issues that come up in training is just like, Mobility, flexibility, endurance, figuring out different ways to, to train around different body issues and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It isn't just straight on the dojo floor, everybody bow in and get going. Like it, it... Yeah, for, for me, it's more, you know, I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong with just getting on the dojo floor and just, you know, hammering out your kata and your keyhole and, and, and all that stuff and, and doing that. But, you know, I feel like particularly as you get as you get older, you know, you need to spend more time just maintaining the 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 actual your actual body itself i mean karate without any sort of maintenance work can be pretty hard on your body if you're not you know doing some of the extra taking some of the care you need to you know address your mobility your strength and those things are certainly byproducts of your your actual karate training but when you put more of an emphasis on it i think it it, it does a lot more to, to to just contribute to the longevity of your practice so you know you're not limping when you're walking on the floor because you you know you train too hard the night before in karate you know it's it just for me, it's sort of a restoration. So, you know, going to a, going to a, squeezing a yoga class over my lunch hour and then, you know, going to the, the dojo later in the evening, 
I usually feel pretty good because I've, I'm limber, I'm loose and, you know, ready for some, some good hard training, but I just feel it's better for my recovery as well. So it's, it's for as frequently as I train, I try to just make sure I get mobility and flexibility work almost daily if I can. I think I've mentioned this on a different area we uh, talked on before or a different uh, platform, which was really kind of the same platform, just different, called something different. Right. But my just Pavlovian, Pavlovian, something like that. Unconscious psychological discrimination towards yoga and just mm. because of one of the past places I trained. And just, I know, it's like knowing, like, I know yoga's fine. I know it'll be fine. It's like being afraid of heights. I know yoga's fine. I know no yoga's good for me. I just don't. Yeah. Like, it actually feels good when you start doing it. Just, I can't do it. So. Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, I think yoga definitely has a, a certain societal stigma with it where, you know, and not one that I agree with at all, but I mean, where it's it's seen as not really, it's not a masculine practice, right? I mean, it's the, the, the sort of public image of, of yoga for the most part is it's, you know, it's sort of something that women do and right. you know, ladies do. And, um, you know, I've definitely had men make comments like, oh, you do yoga? Like, do you wear tights too? And like, I'm like, I, and I don't really care. I'm like, I'm, that's, I'm there because it, it makes me feel good. It's good for my mobility and for my health. And, you know, I, I, I would, I would do it every day if I could. Yeah. What's wrong um, with men in tights? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. <laughs> we got trees, we got birds, we'll do yoga everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, but I think a lot, a lot of people just are sort of self-conscious, um, and you know, so it's 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 hard for them to to put themselves in in, in some of those in, in like a yoga class where they might feel uncomfortable. But you know, really, everybody's just there for their own practice. There's no judgment. You know, you're just there to do the best you can and enjoy your own personal practice. And that feeds over into the karate, where it's like, if you hadn't yeah. done that, do you feel you'd be able to approach your karate the the, the same day, the same way? No. Um, and, you know, as we talked before, you know, I got into yoga because of uh, injury and I, and I, and I know now that, you know, a lot of the, the injuries that I had in the past, primarily with my back were because of my karate training, because I was not training with, I wasn't taking into account that maintenance that I talked about that you need to do. And so, you know, I think I was, I was pushing myself too hard. I was creating some problems for myself because of how I was training my karate. And then when I started really looking internally, at you know the the mechanics the biomechanics of how these things work and getting into different you know body alignment and structure and things like that that uh, you know yoga really helped me with that really transformed my how I approach my karate because now I approach my karate from a really yeah from from that health and longevity standpoint and, and ensuring that you know I'm spending more time on those biomechanics rather than okay well how high am I kicking or how hard am I punching like I don't really care about that stuff anymore. It's more just about, you know, how smoothly or how, how well I can move my body functionally. It, it's weird that it, the, the, the adage nowadays, I guess everything old is new. The, it, right. I feel like there was an emphasis on that for a long time. Um, yep. And then it kind of got shuttered for a different goal of, of uh, you know, fighting or something like that. And not even realizing that in order to even be a long to have a be a fighter with any sort of longevity you need to have otherwise absolutely. you end, end up just essentially you know crypt so absolutely and i mean you look at um look at you know some of the you know uh, gichin fonokoshi i mean he, he was he said you know karate should be enjoyed by anybody with at any age 
And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I really think that he looked at it from a health perspective and because he knew that, you know, training hard all the time and, you know, doing whether that's full contact barring or something like that. I mean, you sort of have a short career. There's only you can only do that for so long before your body just doesn't put up with that kind of abuse anymore. And, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that approach. If that's if you enjoy it, then, then great. But, you know, if you want to be still able to, to participate in those activities when you're in your 40s, 50s and up, then, you know, you got to take care of yourself. You can't just be <clears throat> going full bore all the time. It's going to it's going to wreck you. And I have, you know, my some of my predecessors, some of my my senseis that, you know, nowadays they're they're up in years and they, they don't move so well anymore because they they come from that generation where, you know, it was common to say, all right, we're going out in the parking lot and we're going to do break falls and we're going to do break falls in the concrete and we're going to do throws in the concrete because it's important that we are hard and tough. And I, I, I just kind of think that's, I, I, I don't think that's right anymore. I mean, you know, this was the, the generation of your black belt test for your showdown needs to be, you know, five hours long. And if, if somebody doesn't puke on the mat, then it wasn't a good test. And if there was no bloodshed, then it wasn't a good test. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's not, that's not what I'm about. I mean, I get it. I mean, that's not, not knocking people that are into that, you know, that's just, that's just not my approach anymore. We don't want the bloodshedders <laughs> to feel offended by this podcast. <laughs> Well, and what's interesting is it brings up a little adage, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you, makes you stronger. And it's like, sure, yeah, sure. What doesn't kill you is smacking the, the pavement your whole, with your ribs and, and hip and all that other stuff. No, it won't kill kill you, but it will definitely make you weaker and inevitably probably lead to your downfall. Yeah. The idea that these guys, which is interesting because if you think about it, it's like the generation who came before them, I don't really feel was doing or where they had yeah. initially learned it or even had a had exposure to it. I feel there's some weird idea imported into that where it's just like, well, if you're tough, you're tough, and if you're not, you're not, and that's all yeah. it's going to be. And Yeah, and, and I don't think it's, I mean, I, certainly, like I said, it's definitely go, going that hardcore route is definitely a way to, it, it's a way to do things, right? I mean, if, if your goal is, if you're doing competition, if you're doing full contact competition, then, I mean, the context with which you train is important, right? I mean, if you're just doing, you know, like to no contact sparring with the ambitions of going full contact, well, I mean, you're not really, doing yourself any favors you want to train for what your intended use of the art is but you know if you're like me an IT person who's working on a keyboard all day I mean why, why do I need to go to the dojo and bloody my knuckles and you know bruise my ribs and go that hardcore if I have no intention of ever using that in that way I mean I, a lot of times it depends on where you live too I mean people who live in more maybe more violent uh communities or something you know they they tend to they might have a need to have some more serious and violent training and you know that that's fine but i mean for for where i'm at i mean i'm fortunate that you know i don't tend to have to worry about those things too much but i try to take care of myself and train to the point where should should something happen you know god forbid that that you know i could competently you know de-escalate or handle myself but you know i don't have any sort of uh illusions about you know i'm, I'm not training people to go 12 rounds in a ring or anything like that you know, it's training for civilian self-defense rather than, you know, that competition mindset. Well, and the competition mindset can can also be thrown by that. We're going to train real, the intention of training really hard, but in actuality only doing kind of the semi-contact stuff. Yeah, and yeah. then you're essentially fooling yourself into training that's not going to actually fit what you want. But at the right. same time, the overly violent stuff tends to breed the issues that it also that it's all trying to combat. Yeah. So that can also be an issue. <clears throat> But in our training, we, we we had talked about this a little, that things over time change. Um, as you mentioned before, age changes yeah. the way you approach things. 
mm-hmm. different time periods change the way you know we look at things. And I think one tact I wanted to get into today and I feel you're a great person to do this with, is the inevitabilities of training. There's inevitabilities that we always face that aren't really explicitly told to us. No teacher is going to sit you down and be like, all right, this is what's going to happen to your training. Um, These are just things we end up discovering, consciously or unconsciously. And I wanted to get your perspective on that um, as somebody who's had to do that and somebody who's seen that happen with others. And I think one thing, we just mentioned it, but I think one thing I want to kind of start with is kind of understanding where our teachers were at the time that we were learning. Mm, I don't don't think this is something we really consider a lot, is that our teachers were in a certain place when they were teaching whatever version of what we were learning. Yeah. What a lot of people end up doing is they say, well, that's the way it's done. That's the way it's always been done. That's the way my teacher did it. Yep. Yet at the same time, they're not taking consideration. They had learned from somebody else. They had probably right. learned something different. Yeah. And the way their teacher might be doing that now, probably not the same as when they when you learned it. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was I was just gonna say yeah. Um, I think coincidentally, I was having a conversation with one of my brown belts here within the past couple of weeks that's sort of related to this topic, and that you know he. He's very interested in sort of how, because my sensei is not around anymore in terms of, he doesn't have much of a presence anymore in the dojo. He, he stops in when he's able, but it's really not very often. So I get often get questions from students like, well, what was it like training under him? You know, um, you know, what sort of things did you do? Um, because I, a lot of people, rec- a lot of people who have been around since the time that he was around, they recognize that I, I kind of do things a little bit differently. And, you know, he taught very different techniques. Uh, you know, we teach the same syllabus for the most part, but, you know, I've sort of evolved in the way I teach compared to the way he taught. And, you know, there, he had a, he had a much stronger, uh, for example, he, he had a strong Taekwondo background before he got into karate. And so he really enjoyed doing some of the fancier kicks from Taekwondo. I don't tend to teach those too much anymore because one, I have more of a practical mindset in in my teaching and so you know i don't tend to cover like you know jump spinning hook kicks too much but that's something he loved it was just something that he really enjoyed with his teaching so we spent a lot of time on that stuff back when he was doing more of the teaching but they're you know i tend to stick i tend to stick to more of the 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 basic kicks now front kick side kick roundhouse kick and so forth so some of that has changed you know and so i i will often talk about just sort of the different ways that he taught versus the way i teach and so forth Do, do you feel that you can kind of see that he he had imported stuff and he had put stuff in there from his own experience and that from that you could decide whether or not what could to import from your experience yeah exactly you know i mean he definitely so he had at least one two i mean he had he worked with at least three or four different senseis as he was coming up you know on his his journey and so you know the way he taught he had elements of all of those different teachers you know that he expressed through the the way he taught um you know i've been i've been now training sort of without my sensei for much longer than i actually trained with him i only trained with him for about six or seven years and then he he sort of started uh stepping away from uh from from formal teaching and then eventually was just not teaching anymore at all. So, you know, I've been working on my own for 14 or 15. And so a lot of what I do now is based on my own, just, just sort of continually iterating on the things that one that he taught me, but also things that I picked up along the way and through my own experience and so forth. So there, I, I would say now there's even less and less of his influence on what I cover now. I mean, compared to, you know, if you had, if we, you and I had had this conversation, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, 
I probably would have still been teaching a lot of the same stuff that he did, but now I don't so much. Did you ever feel conflicted about having to progress or or have that inevitability of like, well, he's not really here anymore, or I'm not, he's not really going to give me much advice, or he doesn't need to give me advice on this. I've got to be the decision maker on what I do. Did you ever feel a conflict internally? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, you know, there's definitely periods where, and you know, this sort of goes back to the the concept of shuhari, the cycle of learning, you know, where you go that stage of where you're, you're trying to copy everything your teacher does for, you know, just word for word or just do exactly as they do. And then you try to transcend and you move beyond that. Um, so this is sort of related to that. But I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a time where, you know, I, any opportunity that even if he was just stopping in the dojo for a few minutes, it's like, hey, can you look at this concept that I'm doing? Because I want to make sure I'm doing this the way you're doing it. And then gradually over time, I, I, I started to, to, to just to not look to him for validation quite so much because I knew that I had to take ownership of my own journey. And it's sort of it took a while to get to where I was accepting of the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of on my own in that sense. And, you know, all, we all are. I mean, even even people who are in big giant dojos or big giant martial arts schools, I mean, martial arts, whatever, whatever style you do is a very individual journey. And at some point, if you stick with it long enough, you're going to be on your own. And some people are, are okay with that and they're able to, to, to move on and, and keep going. And I think some people hit that point where, you know, that might be where they change styles or they, they start cross-training in another style because they have to continually have sort of new content. And if they don't feel like they're getting fed new content all the time, that they're not progressing. So rather than just continuing to work on the things that they've already been given, you know, they, they, they tend to branch out. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, everybody sort of takes a different path up that mountain. But for me, it was sort of coming to a point, and I don't know exactly when this happened, um, you know, of looking at, you know, he's already sort of given, my sensei had already sort of given me everything that he could have. I sort of had, I had all the kata, I had all the material. It was just a matter of working on that over and over and over and over again and unpacking it and making it my own. And like I said, just sort of taking ownership of my own progress, of my own journey. And yeah, really just, just making, everything at my own as I move forward it's a though slippery because you get a lot of people who get dogmatic about what people had taught when they taught it or or what versions of things are more authentic Uh, I've had to deal with that too many times in my in my career what's sad is that this type of conversation you feel like especially from the kind of Bruce Lee American, you know, we got to progress. You got to, you know, make it on your own and all this other stuff. But then, like, they'll have the kind of paradoxical. No, you can't do that. You can't change that. You can't. What are you doing? You're not doing the right, right way, or something like right. that. And it's like, did you not see that the people who taught you did the exact same thing? Right. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the organizations have been just completely collapsed due to just those types of disagreements between instructors and so forth over someone wanting to change something, somebody not, somebody saying, no, we have to do things. We have to keep things the way they were. But I mean, all martial arts is it's about change. It's about adaptability. And if you're not adapting your martial art to yourself, meaning either your your, your actual body type and, and so forth, or just with the changing of the times or whatever, it's sort of back to that whole hardcore training mentality. People aren't, I mean, at least where I am right now, people aren't going to put up with me saying, all right, guys, we're going out to the parking lot to do some break falls, uh, like it or love it. This is what we're doing. I would lose students left and right. Now, 15 years ago, that might have been okay. There have been people that would have said, yeah, let's do this. But here, it's not happening. And, you know, there's teachers that are still like that. You know, they're losing students because they refuse to adapt the way they teach. They say, no, the old ways are the best. 
I grew up doing hardcore training. You're going to do hardcore training. I think you can still have hardcore training, but make it so that you're not crippling yourself and not, you know, running people out of the door because you're, you're, you made them crack their skull open on the concrete or something, you know? Um, it's, it's, and this is something too, always as a teacher, it's like, yeah, you, you're never going to be able to give your students that one night you had with all the, everybody in the class and everyone was doing their best and, and it was the greatest time. It's like, you can only explain that. You yep. can only kind of get together with some beers and talk about that. You yep. can't replicate it. Right. Yeah. Which is, and, and I, I feel there's a, there's a mentality to be like, well, I already did that work. And of yep. course, I understand that. Yep. Th- that means everyone understands that, right. which is unfortunate. But it, yep. it happens way too often mm-hmm. where, and people aren't thinking, well, what experiences can I give? What way can I replicate that sure. for yeah. this particular group of people? Absolutely. And there's ways to do that without, you know, collectively suffering. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not anti, I'm not anti hard training. I think training should be good and hard, but I'm, 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 I'm more against training that is unsafe for your health. Right. Right. And, you know, so I, I would always hear a lot where we would have a belt test, for example, and some of the older sensei would say, well, it was a good test, but you know, back when we tested, we got, you guys would have been all, you know, y'all would have had uh, uh, buckets of vomit over there. And one of you would have, I mean, it's not as hard as it used to be, not as hard as, okay, well, that's, that's fine. But you know, we don't do things that way anymore and just be okay with that. It doesn't, it's. Well, and then it was like, <laughs> why aren't you in that place anymore? Right. What, what, what changed? And then, you know, is it that you became hard, less hardcore? Is it because you got older? Is it because you lost a group of people who was able to actually support that and it wasn't just you? There, there's a lot of things there for that. What's really sad is that I've, I've heard that, but I've also seen people people get really upset when there's just the flub to be like, oh yeah, yeah whatever, just do this. and Okay, there's the rank. And then people get extremely mad because they went through these hard experiences and then you have a bunch of people who just don't care to replicate that experience or it's too hard for them exactly i mean it's the whole you know oh i had to walk seven miles uphill in the snow to get to school and you have it easy sort of thing well you know uh there's there's some truth to that in some ways sure yeah and and I think there's a, you need to have the spirit of what's there. It's not necessarily have to be a hundred percent the same of what's ever been done before. Good lord, I mean there's some there's some fads of like workout and stretching and stuff that I just you know what is it? I had a somebody tell me it's like you every time you see wood you got to hit your knuckles up against it. And I was you know, young and impressionable at the time, and I was like yeah. And so I went back to when I was teaching in when I was a college kid, I was like, I was telling that to my students. It's like, yeah, you got to hit the, you got to hit the, the wood every time you see it. And I was like punching, I was like punching trees and like, 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 like trying to condition my shin up against a, like a concrete wall. Uh-huh. That didn't last too long. Um, so it, 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 you, you get impressions of, of this stuff and then you end up doing it. And it's just like, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe they had it wrong. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and, you know, sort of what I was getting to earlier is that it really comes down to the context for what you're training. Like I said, you know, I mean, if your goal is to do that really hardcore competition, full contact stuff, or you're, you're in a environment where 
you know, extreme violence is a regular thing, then, you know, hopefully your training is going to prepare you for that sort of stuff. And that may mean your training has to be pretty severe. I get that. But, you know, telling someone whose day job is, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're bagging groceries every day and they live a pretty calm and peaceful life. I mean, why does that person need to beat their knuckles to death to where they can't, you know, to where they've got these huge calluses on there just because they, that's, that's the hardcore way to train. I mean, what for? You're just, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but well, I used to work. I used to put bad groceries, and I, that was that was actually I felt like between that and working in a bank, where the two times I was like, yeah, somebody could come in here and really screw me up. So um, well, when you're young, you hope that happens, right? Because then you're like, yeah, my opportunity. I'm gonna save everybody. Yeah, demonstrate my martial arts skills. Yeah, I I, I was not that. I was like, no, nah, I don't want this to happen. Because uh, I, I, you're on your feet for like eight hours. And yeah. you don't want it. You don't want. You're like you're like it just. It's static stagnation on sure. your feet, and it just it yeah. wears you out. And you're just like, I don't want to fight somebody. I'm already tired. Yeah. Um, I got. Yeah. I, mean, I was. I was not uh, even supposed to be I, here today. Right. I was a, a doorman uh, on our college campus here in my early 20s uh, when I first moved here, and you know, I of course as a young at that time I was probably a young purple belt or something. You know, and of course you have all these romantic ideas of, oh yeah, just someone, someone step out of line here in the bar and I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate, you know, how cool I am. But I mean, reality is it was a really boring job and, you know, I was just checking IDs and if something went wrong, you call the cops. It wasn't, yeah. it was not, uh, you know, it was not like a Patrick Swayze movie or something. <laughs> I swear, I, I complete digression. I had a student who was in upper elementary school and was like, Mr. John, do you know who Patrick Swayze is? <laughs> young Japanese kid I'm like how do you know who Patrick Swayze is really and then she, and then the, like the kind of mid-20s teacher who I was working with was like who's Patrick Swayze and we just kind of lo- and I just had this like moment where it's like this like like not even teens student and and me just kind of looked at him and was like what's wrong with you <laughs> all right everybody sit down we're watching Roadhouse <laughs> no 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 <laughs> that's not what happened that's that oh god now i gotta edit this part out um no roadhouse is what we're gonna eventually cover that on this podcast because to my mind that is hillbilly chinese connection <laughs> that's exactly what it is that's exactly what it is it's hillbilly chinese connection that's exactly what yeah. it is it's a bruce lee movie just it's it's in the midwest that's that's yeah. exactly what it is <laughs> That was a fun digression. Yes. We, should just, we should stay here, but unfortunately. <laughs> training inevitability. Yeah, training inevitabilities. Well, one thing I think that is inevitable, but is also somewhat of a trap, is a re-examination of your base. And I feel I've had to do this and I've, I've been caught in the trap of like constantly having to reexamine what my base was and knowing like, okay, this is what I did before. This is how I was originally taught. Some other people are kind of, kind of kicked my ass and maybe, okay, I need to, to reexamine how I do that. I've had those experiences and kind of talked about them a little on here. And I know you've kind of changed how you've done things over time. You know, how often do you feel you need to reexamine your base both in terms of your training and then in terms of kind of how you spotlight things in your curriculum. How are you defining base? So are you talking just like your 
Well, your, like an, your foundational skills, yeah, your foundational system, or what you would do in, on the normal for what you, how you train, mm-hmm. right? So I had a base of that was just like ramshackle. You're doing a little karate over here, a little footwork over here, maybe mm-hmm. this odd sparring drill over here, and then like yeah. five handpicked things from different arts over here. That was kind of my initial work and training, and then. I had worked with a more traditional, uh, straightforward curriculum, and then it was all just kihon, 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 kihon. Nothing yep. in terms of like endurance or or training right. or like sparring and whatnot. Now I how I re-examine my base is that it has to be a little bit of everything, but it all has to be connected. Yes, that kind of in summary journey with that. But for a little while, I was constantly questioning is this right is this right do i do this what's the most important i don't right. know and especially when you step out on your own it's just an inevitability of like what is important i need mm-hmm. to decide that um, yep. i don't know you've thrown in a lot of kind of i don't want to say imported anything but like made good use of the mace have made good use of other stuff that isn't necessarily showed up in your curriculum right um and i i guess is that something you had to re-examine you, you ever had yeah. a struggle in re-examining so yeah, it's funny because you you said you know you had you had Kihon over here and and this over here and this over here you know everything's just sort of disconnected, and I definitely again I couldn't tell you exactly when this happened but I started rec- it was at this point where I was still very much copying the curriculum and the teaching methods of my sensei, and at that time you know we had our Kihon, we had our kata syllabus which is just a Shotokan kata, um, and then we had. And we would spar every now and then, but then we had separate, uh, you know, sort of pre, pre, pre-built what we called self-defense techniques for each rank. So each mm. rank you learn like two or three different self-defense, self-defense techniques, and you had to, you know, perform those at a test. And if you did them right, great, you're, you're good. Um, and there's nothing wrong with them, right? They, they were, they were good, effective techniques. There are a lot of soft style grappling sort of stuff, Nikyo, Yonkyo, you know, different throws and things like that, perfectly valid techniques. But after a while, as, and this was really as I started getting more into understanding kata application, I started thinking about, well, why, if my kata is supposed to be for self-defense, why do we have this separate list of self-defense techniques that has absolutely no relationship whatsoever to the kata? And I definitely hit a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to teach those things anymore. My sensei's not around. He doesn't care. So I focused more on the kata and started extracting the applications from the kata and I tried to use the kata as the tool to teach my students. So it was, you know, we learn the kata and then we break down the movements with partners and start exploring how those movements, because I wanted the kata to be useful to the student, not just something that they make look pretty for, uh, for their belt test. Right. And then, all right, they have still have no idea what these different movements mean. I want them to be able to use the techniques that are in there. So it was sort of like we I threw out all these self-defense techniques as a separate piece of the curriculum and uh, shift gradually. This wasn't like an overnight thing. This was, this took a few years, uh, but gradually shifted to where, you know, the student is responsible at, at the time of their test. And this is sort of where the way I teach is probably a, a, a pretty big deviation from what you might find in like a traditional Shotokan school. You know, not only are they having to perform their kata, but they're going to demonstrate, you know, applications from that kata and not not like long distance application sparring type stuff but it's all usually generally close range grappling type gra- applications and so it was i really wanted those kata to be able to that that's the, the most important thing everything that we do is goes gets tied back to the kata um, our kihon is pulled from the kata 
um, the way we move is, is related to the kata. And so, you know, you mentioned the mace training and everything else. I, I definitely also hit a point where I recognized that, you know, I, I had no problem memorizing kata or, or performing them, right? It was like, you know, okay, I can learn another one. That's fine. Um, but they, they, were, they were sort of hollow, right? I didn't have a good structure to make the techniques and the kata work. And so gradually, you know, as I started getting into yoga and different types of strength training, climbing and so forth, I started focusing more on building structure that would support the kata, that would support the applications to make them more functional. And that's a big way, that's a, sorry, that's a big change from the way we used to do things. And that's primarily how I teach now, where we spend a lot of time just on a kata, the different movements within them. And, you know, it's a lot of partner work, looking at how the different movements work and then helping them understand how to how their body alignment and structure and so forth plays a part in making those techniques work and addressing things like body size. I have a, a young lady in my class who is she's, she's kind of short. Generally, for the most part, she's the shortest person in class. And when she gets paired with someone much bigger, a lot of the things that I might have demonstrated said, okay, you guys are gonna do this thing. She's like, Sensei, that's, that, I can't do that on, on this person. He's this much taller. Okay, let's look at how you can adapt the movements to your body type. Previously, that was something that wasn't done. It was just, just make it work, right? Even though realistically, this person is never, ever going to make this technique work due to their body size differences. I want to make the, the art work for the student, right? And if they are constantly failing at a technique because of their physical limitations, such as their height, then that's not, that's not a formula for success, right? They have to understand that they can make this thing work for them. They just have to make certain adjustments for that to work. And that's something you don't see a whole lot of, I don't think, but uh, it's something that I'm pretty... I think pretty seriously in my teaching is I want them to be able to use what I'm teaching them. I don't want, uh, I think I haven't watched it yet, but I saw you and Dan talking about something. There's a movie called paper tigers. I think. <laughs> you know, a, I'm trying not to create paper tigers. You know, I, I don't want them to just have pretty kata with no function behind it. I want their kata to be functional and for them to be able to use the techniques that are in there. So that if I ever get hit by a car or whatever, they can still take their kata and continue to learn from their kata just as I have. As I've said to somebody else rather recently, we can put a man on a moon, but we can't make him bus proof. What kind That's of right. <laughs> This is the true uh, vulnerability we've seen from 2020. It's what we got to get moved move closer towards as a society. Yeah. Um, no more paper tigers. We need to be bus proof. Um, yep. That's our next evolution in, as humanity. But you're yep. right in, in stating that, and what, what you said was a formula for success. And that leads me to kind of this point because we were talking about kind of where our teachers were where kind of where we started from then where we go and then also how we pass it down and the inevitability of seeing people you know giving them something to go towards success but understanding we can give them everything we can throw everything we know and love at them mm-hmm. inevitably they're gonna go somewhere else or it's going to be something else, or they're going to be something else, and understanding and being okay with it. Yeah. Or they're going to take something you say and go a completely different way with it than you mm-hmm. ever intended. And I was interested, I'm interested to know what you're, or if you've seen I mean, that I, yet. I don't know that I've seen it too much. I mean, I, 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 that's, actually, that's probably not true. I see it quite a bit, mostly because where I'm in a college town, and so... Um, I have very few students that have been with me for a long time, mostly because people who are here are here very temporarily. Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky if I get five, six years out of a student before they're 
they've finished up their education here and then they're moving on to wherever. I've got a, a couple that are that have been with me for a long time. So, you know, I really try for the ones that are just here temporarily, you know, I really try to make sure that I give them something that they can take with them and I'm always happy to help them find uh, another place to train wherever they're going. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. But I, you know, I've sort of made peace with the fact that, you know, they, they might quit altogether or they might get into something else. And, you know, I'm just sort of a, a little blip on the on their journey and their their martial martial path, if that's what you want to call it. And I've been I've always been okay with that. I'm a pretty laid back teacher in terms of, you know, I want people to make the art their own. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not out there to create cookie cutters, uh, copies of myself. And that's not the case with some teachers. If you don't do things exactly the way they're doing it, they get, they get kind of, uh, upset about that. And, and I don't really care. What I want to see is that a student can make the techniques and such work for themselves, for their body type and so forth, that they're able to move well. And if I can get them to do that, to, get, to help them with that understanding, that it doesn't matter what martial art they go off and study after they work with me, whether they keep doing what I taught them or they go to something else, I don't really care. I'm not here to 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 pass on my art so that once I'm dead, someone's still teaching it. If that happens, great. If not, you know, then, then it's been a fun ride. Like I said, I'm just sort of laid back about it. Uh, definitely, though, you know, you talked about, you know, where our senseis were at that time when, when we were working with them. And my sensei was definitely, because I talked about, I now focus more on the kata and making it useful. He was towards the end when he was still still working with me a lot, you know, this was at a time where kata application, I don't want to call it a fad, it's not a fad, but I mean, it's really become more popular within the last 10 years or so. Back when I was working with him, it was still kind of, we didn't have a whole lot, there was no Ian Abernathy yet, there wasn't any of these big names out there who were popularizing practical application, it just wasn't there yet. In the way, not in the way it's kind of advertised now. Exactly, I, yeah. I mean, there's I only, YouTube that's what, that would like be my that. only pushback on that, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get on. You can get on YouTube and say, okay, what's the application for? Let me see right. some practical applications for for this kata or whatever. It just it couldn't do it. it wasn't there. Right. But my sensei knew about kata application, and he knew there was something more there than just performing the kata. So I mean, he did his best to instill in me a curiosity about there's something more here, and if you keep working on this, you will find something. And I think it is thanks to that that I was able to take that ownership of my training that I talked about, even though it took a while. It was, you know what, I, it's kind of like, well, my sensei's gone, but I have all these books that he left behind. There's answers here somewhere. If I keep going through these, I'm going to find them. And I feel like I did. And I was able to, you know, be successful and 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 continuing. If I hadn't, I'd, I'd have quit a long time ago. So, you know, I, I'm definitely grateful to him for at least instilling that, that that curiosity. Like, look, this is as far as I've taken it. If you take it from here, you're gonna you're gonna keep progressing. You just have to sort of keep working with this material. And it's yeah. tough to know yeah. where Sal's pulling his 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 goblet out. Of. Yes, my goblet. What is what what is in this goblet tonight? Uh, let's see. Today I've got a juice juice jorts from. Maplewood in Chicago, one of my favorite breweries. Okay, right on. This is what this podcast is not sponsored by. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never have sponsors. What am I saying? The thing I've realized is that you'll you're always going to be planting seeds. You're yes. never going to get e- even from the best of times. You're never going to get people to completely take what you do and replicate it. Yep. And if you do, you end up having kind of a facsimile of a facsimile of a facsimile you really want those you really want that to happen and i i think if you push them to the show with anybody they're going to say no that's not what they want mm-hmm. I, I realized this when i had been in very like kind of in the state of where my mind is now except i my excuse was jet lag and i was just 
going through something I was like on this like coffee spree of like teaching and I was going through this exercise that I no longer do. I was said something to the effect of somebody like, you know, it, it looks, it looks oh, it's all sloppy, but you know, really there's a lot more there than most people think. And I kind of walked away from the conversation. Somebody who was much senior than me, I was just kind of, kind of had to teach this exercise to. And then he came back with to me a year later. He's like, you were so right. There's so much here. And I was like, what? You said that thing. And I was like, you didn't even realize it. I, yeah. What? I guess, yeah, sure. For something I don't even do anymore, for something I don't really, I personally don't feel there's a lot of value behind, or at least the value of it could be found elsewhere. We don't realize, you know, the seeds that we plant and where they end up growing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the unintended consequence of of the of interacting. And because martial arts is so weird in that regard, because it's never just a solo practice. You're you're right from what you were saying before. It is very much in the individual. But paradoxically, it's also the communal. It's always going to be because you can't avoid. You can't just do martial arts a priori. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's the first time I've used that term on the podcast. You have to to be within community, and you're always going to be bouncing off people in terms of what you do. But then, what ends up happening with that is a lot of ways out of way out of your control. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I, th- I feel so interesting about just this topic where it's like yeah there's these inevitabilities we never talk about and there's these things that our teachers try to try to give us but they never know where it's gonna go and that's really good of you i think to be so accepting and so laid back from what you have from people when they come in and then whatever they do next because so many people i've seen are very very hamstrung tight on what they do and feel it's so important but yeah you, you seem to have developed to a point where it's like, this is what I can show people, and then they get to where they want to go. Yeah, and it's not, and, 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 and you know, I don't want to give the impression that I sort of let people do whatever they want. It's that, right. you know, I'm, I'm still teaching a core, a core curriculum, absolutely. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, my school is pretty small. So, I mean, at any given time, I probably have no more than, than six or seven students on the tatami at, the, at a time. So, you know, I, I, I try to take a more individual, individualistic approach to how I'm, I'm working with them and very different working with a smaller group than it would be if I was teaching, you know, a class full of 30 students. I mean, you can't really do a lot of the individual refinement and attention when you've got 30 people on the mat. You just look around and make sure that everybody's at least doing the front snap kick that you asked them all to do. Um, and you need to make very big, broad, gross body movement type corrections. Whereas when you have a small class, you can really work with them on, you know, their structure and everything. And, and you can take that time to do that. And I definitely prefer working with that smaller size than, than a bigger size for that very reason, because it allows me to have that flexibility. Like I said, I don't, I'm not here to make cop, uh, copies of myself. I want them to, to be able to use the thing that I'm teaching them and, you know, my friend, uh, uh, David Gimberline, who I think I've mentioned before, you know, he's, he's fond of saying, you know, karate should be useful from the very beginning, right? If you're not using, if you're not able to use anything that you've been taught from the time you're a white belt, right? I mean, the stuff you're learning at white belt, you should be able to use that. It shouldn't be that you have to be a black belt before the techniques can be used effectively. So, emphasize that function from, from the get-go, right? So, I mean, if they're a white belt, yeah, they're learning how to break fall. They're learning how to take someone to the ground. They're doing all of this stuff. From the very beginning, they're learning about structure and alignment and all of that because why wait? You know, I've actually had people say, you know, you should really wait till you teach that stuff. Like, well, I mean, maybe just get them the gross body movements and then you can teach us. Like, why wait? 
what's the big secret? Why hold back? Just just teach them what it is now. Why do you need to wait until they're a black belt to tell them that, hey, everything you learned up until this point is wrong. Now you need to do things differently. What, why would you do that to someone? That's terrible. <laughs> I have heard and seen this attitude, but never understood it. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is how you teach white belts. This is how you teach black belts. Right. And, and like gross body movement, don't worry about the details camp or kind of spec- <clears throat> part of the spectrum. But then there's like, well, this is what's really going to be used for. And it's like, nah, yeah. it, you're going to use the paint the fence to paint the fe- to, you know, paint yeah. the fence. Like, you know, yeah. like you're going to you're going to do the real thing at first because you want the people to be able to do the real. Th- and, and that's more like rank guarding than anything else. If, if people are just worried about people sure. walking out the door with stuff or, or, or the, the whole thing. Well, now now we teach you the secret stuff. You're, you got, you're among the black belt. So now we're going to teach you what that 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 rising block movement really was for it's not actually a block by the way well i tell white belts that when they're a white belt yeah it's not just a block it's all these other things as well because i want you to be able to use this tool that i just showed you how to use yeah that like you said guarding the secrets or something like oh you have to wait until you're a serious student before i can tell you that you know this is actually a choke and not a outside block or something like that why why wait just just tell them what it is it's very 1990s thing too because i feel like nobody can find that now like 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 anyone can find now, like, I feel there's enough people out there who say that stuff where it's like, you know, the block isn't really a block, it's more of a strike. And like, and then that that leaves these people open to like charlatans, essentially, who will take sure. a lot of money from people, <clears throat> from other people, right? right. Because if you're worried about the business, uh, mm-hmm. to, to learn the stuff you're not teaching, right? Or the yeah. stuff, you, and then they get frustrated and whatever. And it's like, eh, just go for it. Do what you can. Yeah. And you're, and you're sort of managing their expectations in a sense. And, you know, I, I, I find myself saying a lot to some of my students that, you know, when you get up into the black belt ranks, I mean, you know, whatever perception there is with the, the, the general public or the media about what a black belt is. I mean, that's that's a whole other podcast in itself, I'm sure. But, you know, people think they're going to start learning all these secret techniques and these advanced techniques. And really, you're just doing the same techniques. You're just getting better at them. So, you know, I always tell my students, like, there's really, I'm not teaching a new stuff. You're seeing the same techniques that you saw when you were a blue belt. You're just, you're better at them and you're, you're, you're getting better at using them. Like I, there's no secrets here, guys. Like I'm an open book. There's no, I'm not holding anything back from you. It's like I, what you see is what you get. You don't suddenly become exposed to all the, the, the secret pieces of the art when you're a Nidon or something like that. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the case. <clears throat> and having that attitude prevents a lot of like other crappy inevitabilities, right? That actually like is it, you can avert people from. I don't want to say like looking over the other fence, but then just being like, if you are open with them and you can you can manage their expectations in that regard, then they sure. don't have like their <clears throat> own fantasy version. And I'm, everyone goes through this, but they don't sure. have their own fantasy version of whatever you're doing. Like you're right. very real with them at first. They'll be very. They'll have more of a very real idea of what's happening. Yeah. Um, and the other side of that is, like, if you're if you're so quote unquote mysterious or, or whatever with it, you're you're just setting people up to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, and I've been through that, coming up, you know, through the through the Q ranks where, um, you know, I would hear senseis say, "Oh, well, your key is not strong enough. Once you do that kata more, your key will be developed, and then you'll understand." Do do that kata ten thousand more times, then you're like, really, you just don't know, dude. But yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, I don't keep any secrets. I'm like, this is what, you know, if you, if, if a blue belt says, Hey, can I learn this kata? That's Godon level kata. Yeah, sure. I'll take you through it. I don't care. You know, it's not like I said, I'm not going to ask you to do the kata at a test, but if you want me to take you through Sochin, we can go through Sochin. I don't care. Learn it. Why not? Yeah. And, and then they'll probably find out, Oh, well, maybe I don't really need to know that. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You don't. Like, like, you want to play with it? You can play with it. It's like, here, read this book. Well, you're not going to understand a word in it until you, you know, maybe you're older, but yeah, why not? But there's, yeah, there's definitely some places they're like, no, 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 you're a blue belt. You're not going to touch that yet until you've gotten at least Sandan or something. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> maybe that's a bit of a different conversation, but it's like, you know, n- not demystification, like, and, and making sure yes. demystification is like on the on the floor at first prevents a lot of problem. Um, yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's a good word to use for it. It's it's, it's demystification. Absolutely. Well, Sal, I mean, we've gone through a lot, and I feel we've inevitably come to uh, a, a decent uh, kind of wrap point. Anything else you want to kind of drop the mic on in terms of this topic? Mm, mic drops. I don't know if I have any mic drops. Damn it. Closing words. Closing monologue. <laughs> closing monologue. You know, I. I I don't know if this will qualify as a monologue, but, you know, like, because you talked about, you know, just sort of what my approach is to some things. And, and really, as I, particularly as I've gotten older, but it's just, I, I really just, I'm, I'm laid back. I keep an open mind. And I really try to instill that in my students that, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And what I'm teaching you is not, you know, I don't claim to, to have any sort of, this is not the one way that, to do things. There are many ways to do things. And, you know, I think everybody should really take that approach in, in their martial arts training and, and just learn as many things as you want and then make it work for yourself i think you'll get a lot more out of your training when you when you take that approach and that's such a simple idea that's just not put out there in uh yeah. not enough i feel it's been out mm-hmm. it's out there but it's it's not not enough people have that approach and i feel more people are are warming up to it more people are getting to it but we, it kind of runs in cycles um yep you get that you get the kind of summer of love and then you get you know the reagan administration um <laughs> Did I just say that? Uh, you can anybody can interpret that to mean what they what they want to. All right, that's that's that. I'm too tired to edit. Yeah, I I I don't know if karate will change for the better in that regard. I feel we're gonna have to run through a couple more generations before we kind of come out to a more generalized version of that. But do you think it? Do you think it'll become less? Do you think over time it will become less about styles and and just sort of stylistic and more about just what works? If this counter-revolutionary propaganda I'm creating right now works, I mean, you know, that's the plan. <laughs> like, if, if, if there's, there's a way to kind of, like, not counter-revolutionary, sorry, revolutionary. We're, we're, on, we're on the other side. We, right, right. We're, we're pushing back against people coming on our shores to a degree. Right. Except being very open. Um, that's a different podcast. Sorry, I'm mixing, I'm mixing up the Bay of Pigs with this. I feel there's going to be a large, there's going to be a stronger push towards more practicality, more mixing, always going to bump up against uh, perceived cultural notions, norms, and obviously ranking and, 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 style, and style. Those things aren't necessarily opposed to each other, but they will inevitably bump up. So I feel we'll be able to get out of we're, There's no way out of it. There's just going to be a better way of handling and better attitudes of handling it. And I think yep. once the next two, I think the next two or three generations kind of mull through it and, and kind of rediscover some some different parts that that aren't buried but are just not put on the forefront, we'll we'll be in a better place for that, rather mm-hmm. than running into 
what you know concrete throws and stuff like that yeah 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 i can see that well aside from broken ribs sal what else you got going on this week yeah not a whole lot said this week's pretty pretty much standard for me just usual training classes I'm trying to get uh i need to get some more videos put together for for bujin uh for bujin tv I'm trying to get some more beginner steel mace videos put together it's just a matter of putting the time in and getting the recordings done uh, but you know when you don't have a camera person to hold the camera and do stuff it's like you're kind of limited and how in depth you can go in some of that instruction. So I mean that's that's always something I have on my to do list, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Hire a camera. Yeah. Or a camera wife. I don't know. Sometimes I can get her to, to hold the camera for me, there but she's go. she's real busy too. But yeah, yeah. Right now, no, things are pretty pretty standard. Uh, busy with work. Work like I work at the university, so uh, it's the start of semester next week. So it's so it's busy, crazy, sort of uncertain as what's going to happen. Um, there's a lot of traffic now because of all the students that are in town. So yeah, it'll be an interesting few weeks. I've got that kind of things happening, but I've got to go train, go boats, trains, and automobiles, and pl- wait, boats, planes, trains, and automobiles, all of it. Um, I'm traveling by all modes of, tra- of transportation in the next week. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I'm also going to be able to go down and uh, see our friends down in Okinawa finally. Oh, nice. Finally. So stay tuned, folks. Those episodes hopefully will be coming after this. We'll see. Awesome. We'll see. One of these one of these days I hope to get over there. So. Uh yeah, I mean like once all this nonsense ends, which I think will be with unfortunately vaccination cards. Um I only say that in re- as regards to like now we have to have that, mm-hmm. but I don't say that as, you know, people shouldn't be vaccinated. Please, right. if you are listening to this and you don't have any real 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 issues, Please get vaccinated. Please, please, please. Please. Like, we want to be... I want Sal to be able to hit me with the steel maze. <laughs> At some point in Japan. Okay? Just, just, please. I don't want him to have to, like, get a completely different passport, like, as regards to health. That, like, <laughs> if you don't want the, like, Blade Runner future, please, like, maybe, maybe Tank Girl future will be okay at some point, but please... Come on, cool. I mean, I take the flying cars from Blade Runner, but sure, yeah. But I mean, like that. But then you have to deal with like I don't know. Atari is still around for whatever reason, and then like where they make a huge comeback, and then we have <laughs> Cylons or whatever, and then I don't know. I don't want to have to go through a Turing test and find out that I am a robot. I'm going off the way. Rest again. No, well, yeah, that's what happens when you get like three or four hours of sleep and little patches <laughs> everywhere. Sal, so, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you on whatever we do. And um, sure, cool, cool, folks. Uh, Sal, thank you again. And folks, don't forget no to keep training.